all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and you have reached Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. We are warm and cozy in MPB studios. I know a lot of people aren't, though, because it's raining pretty much all in the southeast and everywhere in our broadcast area. Uh, if you happen to be online listening to us, which is a great idea, by the way, if you'd like to uh, catch us, maybe you miss us in uh, when you uh, normally would listen to us live, and that goes from any of our programs. We do archive those, so you can go to MPB online and uh, catch what you missed. Uh, maybe it was something that uh, was pertinent to you, but we are always happy to take your calls on things that are near and dear to you. You know, a lot of our other MPB shows are... Uh, um, uh, our Southern Remedy shows are theme-based, and uh, Wednesdays we sort of open it up to everybody. So if you've got some kid questions, health questions, or if you've got older people, health questions, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a medication that your doctor prescribed that you didn't quite know why they did that. Maybe it's a symptom that you uh, haven't quite put your finger on yet about what's going on. Or maybe it's a new diagnosis that you don't fully understand. You can always reach us here on Southern Remedy on Wednesdays and uh and ask us those hard questions. We'll try to get you the answers or point you in the right direction. The number to call this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always send a, an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to James, who is our first caller from Ocean Springs. Good morning, James. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Hi. Uh, so I'm 73. And I had a bowel movement here, it's been about a month now, that concerned me because I've never seen anything like it. Uh, extremely dark green for three days, and now it cleared up. I looked online, and it said antibiotics could cause it, but I didn't have any antibiotics. And I didn't have any unusual diet, so I don't know if there's anything I need to be concerned about. And James, that was just the color of the stool and not the consistency? Yeah. Right. It was normal, except it was extremely dark green. Yeah. So color changes are common, uh, and they're incredibly, uh, well, it can be caused, like you mentioned, one of the causes is antibiotics, but certainly the foods we eat and the uh, what's in them, uh, particularly those compounds that do color uh, both the foods that we eat and then they get passed on in the stool, they can uh, change the color of the stool. Uh, outside of some major colors and consistency changes like bright red stools or tarry black stools, color changes don't mean a whole lot. Um, now, the absence of color, if you have sort of white chalky stools, 
uh, consistently or uh, almost grayish color stools. A lot of times that can be a, a warning sign about different types of liver problems. But dark green, uh, it's probably related to something you ate, and it doesn't have to be something that when you ate it looked dark green because those different okay. chemicals, when they get uh, broken down by the bacteria in our diet, our, our normal good bacteria, they can uh, they can sometimes change that into a compound that, that uh, changes the color of the stool. So uh, get this question a lot with younger individuals. Like usually it's like with babies because stools change colors like the wind, even with, you know, the same formula day after day, but it could be at any age. And usually it's something that you ingested that either, you know, directly stain the stool or the compounds in that food uh, were retained in the digestive process and then eliminated out uh, in the stool. But that would be my best bet. Dark green doesn't okay. mean anything so, that's necessarily abnormal. That's why I asked about the consistency of it. Right. Well, I was just concerned because I'd never had anything like that before, and it was three three persistent days. Yeah. And it's cleared up after that. So. Yeah. And, and it, another thing, it might be that your gut bacteria sort of changed over that three-day period, and uh, there's a lot of uh, interest actually in our gut bacteria and what's healthy and what's not healthy, how that changes over time, some of the things that that influence it changing. So uh, even if it wasn't something that you ate that had a lot of color in it, uh, the gut bacteria may have changed over that three-day period. But all that to say, James, normal sound and stool to me. Okay. Thank you. Sir. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for calling. Stool colors or, yeah, that's something that uh, we commonly get in the office environment. Like I said, it's mostly it's younger individuals, particularly uh, babies under the age of one. Uh, a lot of times their, you know, their stools will change frequently over those first few weeks or months. But certainly adults can have that, too. And a lot of things that we <clears throat> that we eat, you know, we start to play the t- detective in the office and say, OK, tell me what you ate last last uh, 24 hours, the last 72 hours. And then we can sort of sort of tease out those things that might uh, that might color those. Antibiotics are a common cause of that, and that's just because of the some of the dyes sometimes in those. And some antibiotics themselves can do that. Uh, there are a few that actually color the urine different colors, and uh, most of the time your pharmacist can tell you that they can look through your uh, you know what you're taking, uh, both chronically and the things that you're uh, currently taking to uh, make that determination. Number to call this morning if you'd like to reach us with your health concerns is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Bob in Mobile. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Doc. How are you doing today? Good. How's the weather down there in Mobile? It's raining. I'm looking out my window, and it's drizzling off and on, but I see some Rain in the distance in the southwest, so I'm getting, I guess we're getting some of what you're getting. I think we're all getting it in the southeast. It may uh, let up a little bit as I was walking in today, but uh looks like it's going to start back up this afternoon. We're in for some wet weather for the next 24, 48 hours. I think you're right. What's going on, Bob? Well, I just have a question about uh, vaccinations and uh, specifically smallpox. Yeah. When I, about 50 years ago, when I was in the service, uh, I was inoculated uh, against uh, smallpox. My question is, am I still uh, protected from it? And if not, is there a booster shot that I can get? Uh, 
you know, given the way things are these days, who knows when one's going to use a biological weapon? And I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're I've right. Got too much time on my hands. Yeah, doing too much thinking. I don't know. So uh, no, I'm that's just a, curious about it. Yeah, I, that's I've a, asked the VA, and they haven't been able to give me an answer, or they haven't. Yeah, so smallpox is, uh, you know, historically was a huge problem worldwide. And the, uh, you know, the the great thing about one of the biggest success stories uh, of vaccinations was the story of smallpox and how through really aggressive vaccination rates, we've pretty much eliminated all endemic smallpox, which means smallpox in the wild. Now, yeah. the, the the reason why, that's why the general population, it is not recommended anymore to get smallpox, smallpox vaccine because you can't find it, with the exception of two laboratories that kept a little bit of the smallpox virus. And one was in the United States and one was in the Soviet Union. So back in the, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, the military in particular was, it was recommended because of the fear of what would happen with uh, biologic warfare agents. Um, uh, and because those two, you know, we, we had uh, a smallpox re- um, um, reserve and then the Soviet Union did too. Uh, there were some concerns that if you know, we were to, to go to war, that that could be used. And with a population that's unvaccinated, uh, smallpox was, uh, you know, pretty easy to transmit um, to from individual to individual, and it could be deployed in a, in a mass uh, way. So they, they did recommend for a while that the military get that. Since that time, uh, there there is a little bit of smallpox that's, you know, that's, that's kept in a laboratory, but it's been decades since we've had any smallpox in, uh, you know, in just everyday uh, occurrences. So it is not recommended. Uh, and, and you mentioned the VA, too, because I think they've dropped that from the military requirements as well. But uh, as far as the immunity goes, Bob, you should still be. How old were you when you got that? Probably in your late teens, early 20s? Uh, yeah, I was uh, 20, in fact. Yeah. Got a shot in boot camp six months later, got another shot. And, uh, you know, I saved my shot card even. Right. It, it's possible that you still have that immunity, but uh, the thing that you have to, you know, have to k- take into consideration is your chances of getting it, right. uh, it are so slim to none, really, because it, we just don't have it in the wild. Yes. Now, it's... And that's an important thing to, to remember about vaccinations in general. There are a lot of vaccinations that you have to keep getting because you, we can't get rid of them in the wild. Like they stay in spore formation. Smallpox was not like that. And once we eliminated all the smallpox from individual to individual, that was it. Uh, but things like diphtheria and tetanus, uh, you know, that are endemic in the soil and endemic in other individuals and, and areas and pockets that we'll probably never get rid of unless we have a new system of doing that. We can protect against it, which is why you need those boosters. Uh, but, you know, those are it's a little bit different. That's one of the misconceptions about vaccines is that you treat everything you vaccinate against the same way. And it's not. That's just not true because every bacteria or virus that we vaccinate against is a little bit different. So but as far as smallpox, I think we can, you know, man, we can celebrate that, uh, that we defeated that worldwide. And, uh, I, you know, and even some of the repository stores have since been uh, since been eliminated, too. So uh, I, I think we can cross that one off the list. All right. 
I'm good to go then. You are good to go, Bob. <laughs> okay, Doc. All right. A lot. Stay dry down there in Mobile. Okay, I'll do it. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning. And if you'd like to to reach us, you can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, plenty of time for your calls right here on Southern Remedy. Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1 877 MPB Ring. That's 1 877 672 7464, or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy on this October the 30th, rainy morning. And uh, for those of you who are listening live, um, uh, we mentioned earlier, you can always go back and listen to previous programs. We try to archive those. They sometimes lag behind about a week or so. But after that, if you miss something or maybe caught the latter half of something, you can always go back and listen to that. Of any of our Southern Remedy programs, you can go to mpbonline.org and search for Southern Remedy. Hey, flu is here. We've uh, certainly reached flu season. Um, got a question uh, in clinic yesterday morning when I was seeing one of my adult patients, and they said, you know, normally they get the flu shot in uh, in early October, and they wanted to know if they were outside the normal range of getting it at the end of October. So uh, flu season uh, is now... Uh, because of a number of things, is a lot longer than it used to be. And that's because of a increased travel that we have. It's much easier to spread things like the flu um, longer for longer periods of time across large areas. And because of that, our flu season is a, a lot longer than it used to be. So it's almost 10 months, actually. Uh, so a uh, flu vaccine was available in most places late August, early September. And that's because you need at least two to four weeks uh, depending on the person, to, to mount up an immune response to that flu vaccine to protect you. So we try to get it at least two to four weeks before flu season rolls in. Usually for Mississippi, it's about the same time as a number of other things, uh, uh, other viruses that come in. It's about the, the state fair time. Anytime the state fair gets here, you can bet flu is going to be right around the corner. So the uh, the CDC does sur- surveillance in different states of this. So I just wanted to give you all an update uh, since this is uh, so this is a, a week to week update of where flu is. So the high levels of activity. So that sort of regular outbreaks of flu on a week to week basis, uh, based on what we're seeing in the surveillance areas. Looks like Louisiana, our neighbor to the west is uh, seeing a little bit higher uh, flu activity in Puerto Rico, too. And uh, uh, we forget that in the Caribbean uh, basin, we have uh, 
uh, certainly a lot of risk there. So if you're traveling, and a lot of people would want to travel, make sure you think about that, too. It's probably a good idea to get that flu shot before you travel. Low activity states um, are Alabama to our east, Connecticut, Hawaii, Missouri, and then the rest of them are sort of still in the minimal where we have sporadic outbreaks from here and there. Not seeing a whole lot of flu yet uh, in our clinic, uh, which would include uh, kids and adults. Uh, but uh, it certainly uh, has the potential to break out. So get that flu vaccine. Uh, it can help protect you against both types of flu, uh, both flu A and flu B. Flu B is usually the one that gives you those GI symptoms. So a lot of the times you'll have sort of that achiness, the fever, the coughing, sneezing, but more of uh, the GI symptoms like diarrhea and abdominal cramping with, um, with type B. So that's the flu activity update of the week. Try to do that uh, as we have time uh, from, uh, from year to year. Another question we get in clinic is, what can I eat if I'm being treated for cancer? So a lot of our patients, uh, certainly cancer is not something that we, uh, uh, that, well, it's something that we have a lot more things in our arsenal to treat and to treat it successfully for a number of cancers, getting better and better at doing that. But can you eat certain foods to help you uh, go through cancer, and what's safe to eat? So there's a lot of things out there. Certainly you can go on the Internet and find all kinds of information, some of it good, some of it not so good. So what about, for instance, the ketogenic diet? So the ketogenic diet uh, is the theory behind this is if you eat this, you're not going to be utilizing glucose or sugars, one of the, the forms of sugar that the body uses for, uh, for energy. So the theory is, well, if I'm not eating glucose in my diet, then the tumors which use that as far as their energy uh, to, uh, to reproduce, to, to get bigger, that they're going to be starved and, uh, and it'll help reduce those inside or help it to die. But the thing to remember is glucose is also one of the main things that the body's normal tissues need uh, as an energy source. So there's not really a relationship between uh, starving the tumor, so to speak, and, uh, and its metabolism through eating a ketogenic diet. So there's not really a lot of data in that. And you do have to be careful. Some of the um, regimens that, uh, that uh, oncologists would have, uh, if you're not eating carbohydrates at all, um, and you, you might also have some trace minerals like selenium, calcium, vitamin D that you're not going to get. So you, that's probably not one that has a whole lot of uh, or actually doesn't have any um, validity as far as research in, uh, in being beneficial. A lot of people would say an alkaline diet. They say, well, if you eat foods that can really alkalize your blood and you have less acidity in your blood, that that can help with cancer and a lot of other things too. Well, our bodies are very good at maintaining a normal pH. A pH is a measure of uh, the uh, hydrogen ions in any liquid uh, and uh, or any substance, basically. And uh, our bodies like to have a neutral um, pH of 7.4. Our kidneys and our lungs do a great job of maintaining that. Our body tries to keep it as close as to 7.4 as possible. If you eat a lot of things that don't have a lot of acid in them and to drive it into the alkaline range, actually, if you measure that, uh, there's not an appreciable change in your pH. And if there is, there's probably something going on wrong in the body, not right. So even if you ate a bunch of foods that uh, can change the pH 
uh, potentially could change a pH, say, in a liquid if you put them in the air. It's not going to be the same way in the body. So it's really a big, that's a pretty big marketing scam if you look at the data behind it. However, most of the foods that you eat on an alkaline diet are extremely beneficial. So things like fresh vegetables, fruits, nuts, lentils, all those things are very good for you. We do have a lot of evidence that those are good for you. It just doesn't change the pH. So if what I tell my patients is if you're eating that already, you know, what are the types of foods that you're eating to try to alkalinize yourself? The alkalinization doesn't work, but those foods do work very healthy. That's exactly some of the things. And then finally, fasting. What can fasting do? Well, if we're talking about intermittent fasting, there is a growing uh, uh, body of evidence that intermittent fasting, and by that I mean anywhere from like 10 to 12 hours a day of fasting. So if you have an extended period late afternoon, night, into the morning, of fasting, that that's very beneficial. It can get your A1C down, which is sort of a measurement of the last three months of what your glucose is. Certainly much better for you as far as your body's metabolism. Um, and uh, and there is a little bit of data that maybe things like breast cancer increases survival. So that is beneficial. Longer periods of time you need to watch out for because you can actually drop your glucose, particularly if you're undergoing treatment for cancer. So Diet is important. You've heard us talk about it here many times on Southern Remedy, but you have to be careful about some of the evidence behind it and some of the data. So just a little bit there on the interaction of diet and cancer. The number to call this morning, if you have any kind of questions about your health, is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Paul in Natchez. Good morning, Paul. Hey, good morning, doctor. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Look, I uh, was listening to the fellow that uh, called before about uh, smallpox vaccination, and it's made me think. Uh, I had the, uh, the flu vaccine. It was an original uh, uh, shot, and I need to get another one this year. They also gave me a pneumonia vaccine, and my question on that one is, is that how long is that good for? Do you have to have a booster or? There another strain of flu. Uh, I'm sorry, of pneumonia that's going on this year. What's up with that? So, uh, yeah, those are great questions. So, flu vaccine because of the rapidity with which the flu vaccine, because it travels around the world and it has sort of seasonal activity. And what they do in re- in trying to predict exactly which strain is going to affect the U.S., they look at the patterns in Asia and Australia and other places around the world at about six months prior, and then they can they can sort of predict uh, pretty good now. They used to, you know, sort of hit or miss uh, 20 years ago. Actually, it's very good now in predicting those strains and those patterns. But because of that and because that flu vaccine mutates, it changes, uh, and you have to have something that's specific to those changes for the vaccine, it is recommended that you get that once a year. Okay, during, well, I'll, do, I'll go ahead and do that and get another one this year. What about pneumonia? Nemo- I had that last year. Right. So pneumonia, how old did you say you were, Paul? How old are you? I, I am um, 76. 76, okay. Yeah, so the pneumonia vaccine, there are two types of pneumonia vaccine. Uh, there's a there's a PCV23 and a PCV13. So for the general population of adults, it's recommended that you get both of those that are about six months apart to a year apart when you turn 65. And usually right now the 13 is the one you get first and the 23 later. It used to be just one and then you were done. However, 
both of those cover for different types of pneumococcus, which is a bacteria that causes pneumonia and other infections. And the reason for getting two is that that immunity is better with that. So you're protected better if you get both of those. There are some instances where you might need to get the 23 earlier, and those are things like if you have conditions like diabetes, chronic kidney disease, chronic uh, liver disease, lung disease, uh, COPD, uh, and that's something that your physician can can sort of determine if you are at risk. And those are just conditions that your body's already having a hard time dealing with some things, and it's not able to protect itself against those organisms that could cause pneumonia. So if you've received one of those... And I you, got both of those. Uh, they were six months apart last November. You should be uh, good. The last one. So, yeah. but, and, you know, so you don't need to be that annually. That's, no, that's, that's not uh, right. That's not one that you need annually. Okay. And and somebody that can help out if you if you need to know about it other than your physician is your pharmacist. So right. if you okay. just ask them, a lot of times they'll tell you, you know, what you've had. We, in fact, that's a resource we reach out to also. So we you know, frequently call somebody's pharmacy to just say, you know, hey, have they had this? Because sometimes you can get it in different places. But based on what you just told me, I think you're probably good from those respects. My third question, if you have time, is uh, shingles. Yep. Uh, I had that also last year, had had vaccination for that. How often do you need to get revaccinated, or is that good, or do they... You, change that up every now and then. You, you should, well, of course, as we get new data out on the on you know how well these vaccinations work and for how long, sometimes those change. But if you got it last year, I bet you got. There's a newer one that came out about four or five minutes ago. I'm sorry, four or five years ago, using uh-huh. the vernacular of the day. Uh, so four or five years ago, that is a little bit better in it and how well it works. If you got one last year. You shouldn't have to get another one, and okay. we we think that's good. You know, at your age, I, that should be good for at least 15 years. Oh, great. Well, okay, thank you so much. You've answered all my questions. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Paul, and thank you for calling. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning and taking a lot of good calls on a number of things. If you have uh, a question about your health or the health of somebody near and dear to you, you can call us this morning at one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go to Charlotte, who's been patiently waiting in Cleveland. is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. 
Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning live, taking your calls. The number to call if you would like to reach us this morning with your question or comment is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 We're going to go to Charlotte now from Cleveland. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning. Uh, I have two uh, immunization questions. I'm 57, and I got my first pneumonia shot last September the 1st because I have asthma Mm -hmm. and the swelling never went down and I still continue to have severe arthralgia pain. I mean, it will feel just like the day after the shot and it just every few days or sometimes once every week or two, it's severe arthralgia pain in that arm. Will that, and they, the, my doctor and my pharmacist did a report to the uh, FDA because it was so unusual, but Kroger Pharmacy told me they've had another person who had the same thing happen last fall and that it's from the preservative. Will that ever stop hurting and the swelling go down? And the swelling is at the site of injection? Is that where you had it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so that that is a uh, you know that's a side effect, and your physician and uh, did exactly what they should do in reporting that uh, because unfortunately there is a small risk of that in some individuals. Um, and you know, as far as how long it lasts, usually you'd have you know anywhere from a few days to a few weeks, and then the symptoms would go away. However, it looks like I mean, if you've had it for that long, and it's still persisting. Uh, you know, you might even, if you haven't already, you might need to see an immunologist. Um, that's an allergy immunologist, and that's because that's sort of their specialty in looking at immune-type reactions to things, and they might can help with, you know, uh, possible treatment options at this point. But if it's been going on that long, uh, that's pretty long for a reaction like that uh, to persist. So you might need to, you know, ask your physician's office, hey, can I see an immunologist, an allergy immunologist? Because that, you know, that might help out with uh, getting uh, rid of those symptoms for the long term. Okay. And my other question is, I saw a TV commercial of a class action lawsuit, lawsuit regarding the shingles shot actually causing shingles. Uh, and so that makes me not want to get the shingles shot. Uh, how can I know if, if that's uh, an issue so, so the shingles vaccine, because it's against um, varicella, so that's the same thing that causes um, chickenpox in young kids. So there's two times that we give that. We give it to, you know, kids to help prevent chickenpox and then to older individuals to prevent shingles. So if you've had, shing- had chickenpox as a child, that virus is probably still hanging out in your spinal cord, basically. So it's uh, it l- likes to hang out in the dorsal nerve roots of your spinal cord. And then if your immune system, for whatever reason, if it should, uh, you know, if it should sort of wane in its ability to fight that off, that's when you get shingles. That's what actually causes shingles. Now, mm-hmm. what they're probably talking about is because the vaccine is a weakened version of the chickenpox virus or the varicella virus. It can't cause full-blown shingles, but you can get at the injection site, you can get what looks like one or two little vesicles that look exactly like chickenpox and shingles. 
Um, those are self-limited. Uh, they usually go away. But as far as giving you the shingles that persist for months and those kinds of things, that's not possible with the vaccine. Now, you can at the same time. If you've had chickenpox in the past, everybody who's had chickenpox, like myself, uh, when I was a kid, I am at risk for developing shingles at some point in my life. Um, and if I get the vaccine and it just so happens it's the same time that my immune system is weak for whatever reason, maybe I have another illness like a cold or I'm getting treated for something else, uh, you can develop that uh, shingles. But as far as getting it from the vaccine, there's just not a whole lot of data. I know, look, there's a lot of stuff out there with class action suits and they don't always follow the science. But you can get a couple of vesicles at the injection site but as far as a full-blown shingles, like if you've, if you've had shingles or if you've known somebody who has shingles, you know it can be horrendous. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's very painful. That's not something that you can get from the vaccine. Now, if your immune system, you know, there are a couple of, of contraindications for getting that shingles vaccine. So if you're being treated like a bone marrow transplant, for instance, you wouldn't get a shingles vaccine if that were happening. Something that was very severe as far as how it's going to affect your immune system. If you're doing chemotherapy for various things, that's not something that you would want to get. And that's something you can delay until your immune system comes back up. Okay. All right. But Thank I would, but, but I would, Charlotte, I would check out that allergy immunologist about your other symptoms. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you for calling. All right, let's go to Floyd from Hattiesburg. Good morning, Floyd. Good morning. I would like to ask you about taking metformin off script. I've seen three articles about it, one from Mayo Clinic, Albert Einstein Medical Center, and Harvard Medical Center, about the benefits it has on heart health and some other healthy things. Yeah, metformin or glucophage is a medication that uh, that is it was developed to treat diabetes, most most commonly type two diabetes. It's also uh, it, do, it has an indication to treat pregnancy uh, uh, associated diabetes during pregnancy, and then uh, in some cases you can uh, treat some other forms of diabetes, but mostly the type two diabetes that you get later on in life. Now, what they notice, though, is that it's also beneficial in some states that are sort of pre-diabetic or things like if you're a female and you have polycystic ovarian syndrome, it's been used in that case, too, uh, to treat that. Um, And then weight loss has been another one that uh, because of how it works. So basically metformin works in two different ways. It uh, helps your uh, liver to metabolize glucose better, blood sugar better. And then it also works at the muscle level to sort of all of our muscles need glucose. That's one of the main ways that their their energy gets there. And insulin is the way that it gets into there. So it's the hormone that sort of drives it into the muscles and the other uh, tissues of the body. Well, metformin helps that process at the muscle level do that better so that your blood sugar actually gets lower with that. So, Floyd, you're right. There's a lot of evidence that in other sort of pre-diabetic and metabolic syndrome conditions that this may uh, be of some benefit. And, of course, because those are risk factors for things downstream like uh, heart disease, stroke, there's a lot of, of interest in that being one of the ways that you can treat that. There are some, uh, you know, of course, you have to be careful with any kind of medication like that off-label and make sure that you don't have any contraindications. If you have kidney disease, um, even if it's mild, 
a lot of times it's, um, you know, it's recommended that you either, you know, keep an eye on that so uh, or that you don't need to take it if your creatinine is over about 1.7. Uh, but uh, that's something that your physician needs to monitor pretty closely. Uh, but, yeah, it, you're right. It has been used in a lot of people for weight loss, for prediabetic states, for metabolic syndrome, uh, and it may be a little bit more of an icing on the cake. Now, if you already have a couple of risk factors, you know, for heart disease, uh, there's a lot of more evidence, say, in getting your blood pressure to goal or to uh, if you have cholesterol problems and treating that with a, with a statin that can decrease your, your risk. Or if you're doing other things, you know, if you improve how you're living with what you're eating and your uh, exercise amount, uh, aerobic activity in particular, smoking's a big one. If you're smoking, you can quit smoking and, man, you can cut your, your risk of heart attack or stroke dramatically from that. But if it's sort of icing on the cake, you may want to talk to your physician about that. Most people tolerate it okay. You do have to start slow and uh, low and slow with that just because there are some GI side effects of diarrhea and bloating and some GI cramping uh, that usually go away with time. But, yeah, it's it's something that a lot of people are looking at. Okay, thank you. Sure, thanks for calling. All right. Uh, if you have a question that you would like to uh, call us, we've got some uh, time and some uh, room on the board this morning. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Kay in Memphis. Good morning, Kay. Good morning. There... You've answered some of my questions uh, with other uh, patients, customers. I don't know what, I guess they're your patients anyway. Well, they are Uh, today, isn't that right? Well, they're not my patients. I mean, we're not having a, you know, we do want to make that distinction. You do need, this doesn't take the place of seeing a physician or a nurse practitioner, but it's, it certainly is, uh, you know, we try to get, get information out and steer them in the right direction. So you're right, Kay. Well, the one thing that you pretty much answered was about the shingles vaccination. I'm sure Humana covers it. I just haven't asked them yet. But I started, you know, you were way after me, but I started school in 1936. So if one person in school got something, everybody came down with yep. it. So I had all the childhood diseases that you can have, you know, they were, that was available. But So anyway, I'll check on that. But that's not the thing. I want to talk to you about aging in place. I have decided I may be getting old. <laughs> we all you know, are, Kay. <laughs> well, you get old only when you admit it. <laughs> well, what I tell what? patients when they say, well, I'm old, and I say, no, 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 you're not old, you're older. There's a, there's a difference there. Well, I said when I get into my 90s, which will only be a year from now, I will maybe say I'm beginning to get old, but right now I'm just aging. <laughs> but... um. I remember when Dr. Chisezo had the, the um, program, he had gotten a, um, a, a, a physical therapist, I guess it was, to come into his home or hit somebody's home and um, make recommendations about um, uh, support, you know, wall, what is it called, wall on the walls, the rail. Yeah, just sort of looking at the safety of your home, right. Yeah, and I have a long haul that I go down. Right now, I've got junk there that I can hold on to, but yeah. one day I'm going to clean it up. Um, and uh, I, what I remember was that they had already done it themselves, and then they had um, a, a professional to come in, and she just they had to change a whole a whole bunch of stuff. So would you recommend that I try to get a physical therapist to come in and 
make the recommendations or use my better judgment and do what I think I need. I think it's always a good idea. And I actually did this for one of my patients. I went to their house and just sort of gave it a once over. But you can do this through home health. It's extremely beneficial as you get older or aging in place. Um, just because uh, you can be objective about it. We always overestimate what we can do. And if it's in your own house, it can be, you know, you can you can sort of say, ah, oh, well, I can get by. But that's one of the best things you can do is look at the environment as you get older to make sure that it's appropriate to provide the support if you're getting up and down or if you're, you know, particularly in, on our transfers, pl- common places where people break bones and hips or around the bathroom area and tubs and getting out of bed and making sure that looks, uh, you know, appropriate and safe and having good safety measures there, that can that can really cut down on a lot of the things that are the things that really kill us as we get older, and that's accidents like that and falling down and breaking something. So, Kay, I would say yes. I would ask somebody to maybe work through home health to send somebody out like a physical therapist to come and look at things because they're going to probably pick up on some things that you can't. Okay, I got one more thing, so don't hang up on me. Okay. Um, in in the past, well, when I was in in grade school, I guess I was about eight years old. I fell down about six or eight feet onto the ground and uh, broke both arms and dislocated an elbow. Ouch. And uh, of course, that was it, it was a little country town. They had a doctor there, Doctor Brothers, but you know, X-ray machines were not available back then, at least in that kind of situation. So what we did not know was that I had done some damage to my spine, hmm. and I developed, um, before I really found out what it was, I had developed a pretty marked scoliosis, and, um, but I, I started going to a chiropractor, not for that, but just for the problems I had. My, my mom in, in Hattiesburg was going to one, and he looked at me, and so he made some recommendations. So anyway, I had to quit bowling because I bowl left-handed, and I bowl right-handed, and at the end of the first game, I would be walking the floor with pain. So I, <laughs> my doctor said, did it ever occur to you that maybe you should not be bowling? And I said, I just discovered that. I went home. I told my husband, we've got to get you a new bowling partner. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I have not had a bowling pen and a bowling ball in my hand since then. But I do find that, um, you know, there are certain things that, that aggravate my back. I'm very careful. I walk. I don't walk with a walker. I walk with a quad cane. It has the four feet instead of just the one foot. And another one, if I'm really out walking, and when I do my walk around for my walking, I use both of them uh, just as support. You know, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, Kay. I think that's that's common, uh, and it's certainly you, you've you know we all have to modify what we do as we get older, and I think you're uh, that's a good success story about how you do that. So, Kay, th- thank you for calling and sharing those two things and questions with us. We appreciate that as always. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go to Kathleen and Gail.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning, and i got a lot of good questions. Got one quick email here from a listener who is 50 years old. They want to go into the healthcare field, and uh, they have never had an MMR. That's measles, mumps, and rubella shot. Uh, that's one of the ones we recommend if you're going into the healthcare field just because of the uh, possible exposure there. They say they are 50 years old, and they've had multiple sclerosis, which has been successfully treated on interferon for the past 18 years, and they're doing well. So, uh, actually, there are some vaccines you want to avoid with MS, and that because it deals with the immune system and you're getting interferon, which can you know weaken the immune system a little bit in some areas. So, generally speaking, live flu vaccine, any, any vaccine that's live tends to have a little bit more risk to it if, if your immune system is not up to par. Uh, for various reasons. So you always want to ask your physician about it, but all things being equal, you should be able to take uh, things that aren't live. The live vaccines are like typhoid. We don't give a lot of that routinely. Rotavirus, which would only be for younger individuals. Oral polio vaccine, so that one is a live, weakened virus, but we don't give it anymore in the United States. Yellow fever, again, only for travel. And then the only really one that you have to worry about that we give on a routine basis here is influenza nasal spray because it is a live vaccine. Uh, And shingles, you may have to be, you know, you may have to to work around that. But MMR you can take uh, with uh, if you're being treated with with MS. But always ask your physician about that before you... uh, uh, make that decision. All right, let's go to Kathleen. Good morning. Good morning. I'm actually talking to you under a very strange thing. It's called a blue sky. Oh, wow. Wow. So that's in, is that in Osaka? It's in Osaka. I don't ah. know how long. I have no guarantee. Enjoy it, Kathleen. <laughs> Listen, you had on your show some comments about turmeric yeah. last week. Yeah. Okay. What about food grade turmeric? Is that also made that way? And is it something we can grow in the United States? I don't. I don't know if you can grow it here. I do know it's probably in. in most herbs tend to be. Uh, there are a few that you can grow here in Mississippi, and uh, you know we're zone uh, what seven A, seven B, all the way down to uh, to nine on the coast. Uh, so most uh, herbs you can grow pretty successfully. I don't know how much you have to grow for turmeric to actually be beneficial. You know, some of it you have to grow a lot of it. But I would guess the way Mississippi, we can grow just about anything. Um, as far as food grade, that should be fine. If you're buying it in a grocery store, that should be fine. I think most of it was uh, produced uh, in, in you know bigger qualities quantities from, uh, I believe it was, Thailand. I can't remember exactly what I said, but uh, but it was basically they were adding lead uh, chromate, which is yellow, uh, to make it look better, so to improve the, the the visual quality. But food grade, I think, should be fine. Um, I don't think that's going to be a thing. But I don't know. I'll have to. Uh, you need to call in and ask Felder uh, Rushing if you can uh, if if you can grow turmeric. Grow yeah. your own. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that, but I would bet in Mississippi you can just about grow anything. 
I, I take it every day because going through cancer and, mm-hmm. and now the diabetes, it's like, okay. I told my girlfriend, I said, well, I've got everything but locusts. She said, you better be quiet. <laughs> That's locusts. right. Yeah, so don't. don't. You, me. I do listen. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for calling. I appreciate your patience. All right, we're going to go to, let's see, we're going to go to Gail now from Spanish Fork. Good morning, Gail. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Thank you. What's your question this morning? Okay, it's it's a little strange. I'm 72 years old and good health and, and mental capability, and I've never had a trace of OCD behavior. But starting about three years ago, I would find myself counting, not meaningful counting and not out loud. It was just like going on in my brain, and then I would become aware of it. Like I'm uh, walking outside to the gate, and I'm counting one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Uh, Or I'm putting ice cubes in a glass, and I'm counting how many cubes I put in mentally. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that okay. Yes, that, I just want to know if you've ever heard of that yeah, going on. Actually, that is a common behavior that some people have, and even if you're, you know, it is a little unusual to go your whole life and not, uh, you know, up, up above seventy and not have any problems until around that time. Uh, but it it can be a, go along with obsessive compulsive type behaviors, and uh, it can also be associated with other things. A lot of people have concomitant. Uh, depression or anxiety that's overlaying that. Sometimes it can be triggered by something that happened. Sometimes it doesn't. It can be sort of a generalized anxiety uh, symptom. I, I do think probably by what you told me that this can be treatable. I think you probably should see, you don't really even have to see a psychiatrist. I would start off with a psychologist and just see you know, they'll probably delve into like the, the exactly what you're thinking and when it occurs, and they may be they may be able to give you some tools so it's not as intrusive. That's the part where you know all of us do sort of, sort of things like that um, that are just sort of habits that we get into. But uh, it's when it becomes intrusive with the normal daily activities. So I would check them out. There are some medications that you can take that help with this, but honestly, I would start with just a psychologist who's trained in this area and just, uh, you know, to, to see if there's some things that they can do to help you out. All right, Gail, that's all the time we have. Um, hope that uh, that is beneficial to you. I want to thank all of our callers today for calling in with your questions and comments. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Miss- Mississippi Medical Center and generous support, of course, from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by Kevin Farrell. Our call screener was Michelle McAdoo. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. You can join us next Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.